So Timmy, can you come up? And you were there too? Yeah, if you can come up. Timmy was in Haiti and Colombia, okay. All right. Who wants to go first? Okay, so we're going to just hear a little bit of a testimony from how their trip went. So go ahead. All right, well, hi, my name's Anya, and I went on a mission trip to Colombia. We just got back on Friday, and jeez, uh, I don't even know where to start. This trip was absolutely amazing. Uh, basically, we were working with uh, two pastors, uh, Juan Pablo and Adriana, who moved from Calacar, which is about nine hours north of Medellin, which is the capital city of Colombia, um, and they were basically starting from scratch. We were uh, the second mission team to come down, but the first service mission team that actually did like outreaches and stuff like that. Uh, so we were starting from scratch. Their church was just like newly starting. They started the church in Calacar, and it was blossoming, but God called them about six months ago to come down to Medellin and to start a new church. So literally when we got there, the first time we went to the church, no one showed up. So imagine like this church with maybe like Alan and Julie and then like nine or ten youth. And that's, that's it. That was there. It was our team and them. So basically the whole entire goal of the mission trip was to go out and just do outreach for people, like invite them to the church, like to come in and God worked in some amazing ways, just like in my life personally and everyone else in the team, but also in the community. People were just like so open and so like accepting of what we were doing. And like we've had a couple people like already say like, hey, we're going to be like coming to the church. Like this is exactly what this city needed. Like you guys are like a blessing and we feel so much peace around you and just and stuff like that. And God worked in some absolutely amazing ways. So that's just a little bit of what we did in Columbia. And uh, yeah. I'm Tim, and I helped co-lead a team to Haiti. Um, our main mission was to, uh, we did some construction or masonry project on a house um, for a widowed wife. Um, and when we got there, our other leaders thought it would be like on level ground, you know, in the city somewhere. Um, but when we realized uh, we had to walk up a hill about a quarter mile until we got to the top, and we had to carry cinder blocks up that hill. Um, it was very challenging, um, uh, especially with the heat in Haiti. It's not like here, but I guess this past weekend it was hot, I figured. Um, so we did that the first few days. Um, we carried a bunch the first two days. So we got that basically done in two days. We carried 500 blocks up that hill. Um, so that was really like cool for me to see just um, the satisfaction that we did that so fast and quick. And the, we got a break that Friday, and we went up to the mountain. Um, we used to overlook the city and pray pray for uh, Moi in Haiti. And then that Saturday, we came back and just finished an hour or two just to help finish that project. Um, they still have to raise money for the roof. We didn't have enough, so about $200, $300 we still need. Um, Drew and Fran Holmberg's trying to raise that money for that. But every afternoon, we did that in the mornings, and then every afternoon we did a VBS for the kids in the nearby church. So that was really cool. Every one of the team members led the lesson, and I helped lead the lesson too. And the first day was kind of chaotic because we didn't have a translator. He was 
in the nearby city, but he was doing something, so we just did it anyways. And it's pretty crazy because not really any of the kids spoke English. Um, they spoke Creole. So it was pretty chaotic, especially when the food came out. We just we couldn't really <laughs> organize anything. Um, but it was really cool just to love on the kids and uh, um, just to speak the word of God into them. But it was really, really good once our translator got here. His name is Remy. Um, he's a really cool guy. He's like 23 years old. He helped the team four years ago when they went, and um, we reconnected with him to come and help us this trip. Um, on the fourth day was the gospel day. I helped lead that one, and about a dozen to 15 kids gave their life to Christ on that day. So it was really cool to see that and just help them lead lead in that prayer to accept God into their life. And we also had uh, a few days to go to the orphanage there, um, just to see all the kids there and just to love on them and just spend just spend time with them, um, just throw them up in the air, catch them, hold like five or six kids at one time. It's pretty cool for me. Um, and even at our compound, when we're just sitting there in our compound, um, that we had a few hours after supper just to chill because it's like really hot your body's like dead after the day and um just to see the kids crowding the gate outside the compound waiting for us to come out just really cool to see how the kids just loved us and um just cared so much about us but for me like just to see look back on everything even a year ago i was called to lead a team and then god showed me haiti and then just seeing it go forth and actually just walking in that in haiti and actually just being in Haiti, because, like, when I was a kid, I thought Haiti's, like, a terrible place. It's so poor, and, like, I would never go there. But, like, it's such a cool and amazing place, and it's such a life-changing experience for me. And um, hopefully one day I'll be back. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Pastor Allen. Here we go. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Bear with us as we get our technology going here. There we go. All right. So, yeah, welcome back, everyone. Again, my name is Alan Dyson. I'm one of the pastors here. We have been preaching through the 12 dove values, the, the 12 beliefs, 12 common values or beliefs that, that hold us together as a, as a dove network of churches. And you see uh, over on the sidewall, uh, all the places all the way around the world where there are dove churches. And these 12 dove values are the things that, that bind us together, no matter what, what nation, no matter what culture, no matter what language. These are the things that, that bind us together. Today is, is dove value number 12, the last one. And it is that we, I'm not going to go through all of them. They are here on my PowerPoint. And I'm going to put that receiver up out for closer. There we go. Okay, thanks. I'm not going to read all these because you've been hearing them every Sunday morning until number 12. We are called to build the kingdom together with the entire body of Christ. Now, uh, there are yellow sermon handouts that you need for this morning. Uh, you need to have a pen and you need to have a sermon handout. If you didn't get one, there are some in the back table. So jump up right now and run back and get one if you didn't get one. 
uh, and we will we will follow along on on the uh, on these sermon sermon notes. We are called to build the kingdom together with the entire body of Christ. And I'm going to say something at the beginning of the sermon that I bet you never heard a preacher say in a sermon before, and that is, some of you shouldn't be here at church this morning. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, you got to wait and, and see to, to find out why not. Some of you are jumping up and thinking, well, it'd be a good day for golf or it'd be a good day to swim. Um, but uh, some of you shouldn't be here this morning, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. <laughs> Our focus is on God and building God's kingdom in us and in the world around us so that uh, really myself and, and my small group, my family, my local church, and even Dove International are really just small parts of God's kingdom. So the Bible, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17, and we're going to have um, uh, the scriptures on, on the screen as well, but it's, it's always good to have it right there in your hand, and, and whether it's electronic or, or a paper Bible. John 17, starting at verse 20. And the Bible here shows us Number one, that Jesus was a man of prayer. And number two, Jesus modeled for us how we should pray. And in John 17, Jesus, in, in what, what theologians call Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, Jesus prayed for his followers, and Jesus said, Look, Father, I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do, and I revealed what the Father is like to people. I've revealed the Father to people, and I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do. But Jesus didn't stop there. He prayed for believers. And not just believers, he prayed for every believer. And I, I believe that he was praying for us here, July 1st, 2018, in Elm, Pennsylvania. And I believe that Jesus, being God, had the capacity to pray for each of us by name here today. So how do you think Jesus prayed for believers? There's one specific way that Jesus prayed for believers in John 17. And this is verse 20. Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, his 12, his 12 disciples, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That means that lots of people are going to become Christians as a result of the 12 apostles going around and preaching down through the generations, down through the centuries, until we come to Pennsylvania in 2018. For all those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus prays for all Christians of all time, even including us here in this building today. And Jesus prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed one thing for us. And that one thing is that we would be united, that we would be one, that we would be together in a single heart, in a single mind and single, a single uh, spirit and a single purpose, that we'd be united, that we'd be one. Now, how do you think Christians have done at being completely united? 
sometimes well, more often not well, haven't we, if we're really honest, and we think about the church today, and we think about the church history, and, and how Christians have, have treated each other, because there are accounts, and there are stories of how leaders have disagreed up to the point of, of conflict, that Christians with vi- differing viewpoints have that were, were run out of towns and even executed for their beliefs. And, and we've heard stories of churches that have split, sometimes over the silliest of reasons. Should we cut down the oak tree in the front lawn or not? And the church split over the oak tree. And, and wars have been fought between factions of the Christian church. One of the most horrible wars that history doesn't even talk much about was in the, in the 1600s in Europe called the 30 Years' War between parts of the Christian church. There's a lot of politics involved and a lot of other things involved in there too. But it really began with parts of the Christian church fighting against each other and up to 8 million people died in Europe over, over that time. So have Christians done a good job at being united? Not always. The, the, the story, the funny story goes about the guy. He said, I was walking across a bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump. And I ran over and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He asked. I said, well, there's so much to live for. And he said, like what? And I said, are you religious? He said, yes. I said, me too. Are you Christian? Are you Buddhist? Are you Muslim? What are you? He said, I'm Christian. I said, me too. I said, are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? Or He said, Baptist. I said, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God? Or are you Baptist Church of the Lord? <laughs> he said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? And he said, Reformed Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Now, are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And I said, you die, heretic scum, and I pushed him off the bridge. Christians haven't always got along that well. When really what we have in common is Jesus. But we haven't always lived up to Jesus' prayer being united. People, I'm going to bring it down to personal relationships now. People, even Christians, sometimes have trouble getting along with each other. Is that shocking? Supposed to be following along. Sorry. There we go. The old, the old, the old poem says, uh, To live in love with the saints above, that will be grace and glory. To live below with the saints we know. That's another story. Jesus gave us two simple principles to get along with each other. Two simple principles to get along with each other. The first principle is when another believer sins against you. Matthew 18 Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So there are several points here. First of all, this is a sin issue. Someone in the body of Christ, one of my fellow Christians cheated me or stole from me or lied to me. It's a sin issue. It's not an issue of, well, he just bugs me, or I just don't like him, or he has bad breath, or your socks don't match, or you're always late to church, or all the other things that we can come up with while we don't like each other. These are areas in which we just have to extend lots of grace to each other. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, Colossians chapter 3, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So, Matthew 18, Jesus says, if someone sins against you, you go and see him or her face to face. No texting, no emailing, no Facebook, not a phone call. You go and sit down face to face and eye to eye. Why? Well, for one reason, 90% of communication is what? Nonverbal. And so much communication happens when we sit down and look at each other in the eye face to face. That doesn't happen when you're texting. And you're texting and you think, wonder what he or she meant by that. Did they mean something different? So you go, to, you go and sit down face to face. Jesus says you go and tell him or his, her their fault. The whole point is not to beat someone up for wrong, wronging me, but for forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation to happen. So you go with a kind attitude and a humble attitude. So that's Jesus' first principle for getting along with each other when a believer sins against you. The second Jesus principle for getting along... Where did it go? There it is. The second principle is for when you hear that someone is angry or hurt or offended with you. Huh. Matthew 5, Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The principle here, the second principle is, to go as quickly as possible to be reconciled with someone. So it's more important for peace, for you to make peace with people in your relationships than to go to church on Sunday morning. So I give you permission to 
Get up out of your seats now if you need to and go make peace with someone, whoever's upset with you. If you need to go in your car and and go track down someone who's upset with you, it's more important for you to have peace in your relationships than you to come to church on Sunday morning. Jesus said, you might be coming to the altar to offer your gift. That was, that was temple worship back in Jesus' time. You might be coming to the altar to, to offer your gift, and, and you remember that someone's upset with you. You need to go and take care of that before you come to the temple. And so I say it's more important to go and get your relationships taken care of than to come to church on Sunday morning. Does that make sense? And you can do that any other Sunday morning as well. <laughs> Some of you shouldn't be here this morning. You should be out making peace with people you, who have offenses against you. You might say, well, that's their problem. If they're offended or upset with me, it's not my problem. That's not the point. The point is about your relationship with those people. The point is about making peace and reconciliation between people, especially between Christians. Being reconciled is more important than coming to church. And, and Jesus prayed specifically for Christians that we'd be one, we'd be united. So, Jesus' heart and Jesus' prayer for us as Christians, whether it's a small group, local church, like Newport, whether it's a, our local community here, is that we'd be united, we'd be one, we'd have such love that people actually Stop and notice. You know, we, we hear stories about the history of, of Christianity. And, and there was probably no other time in Christianity where love so characterized the Christian church as it did in the first three centuries, the first 300 years of, of Christianity when the church was often being persecuted up to the point of death by the Romans. And yet, Roman society took note of the love the Christians had for each other. Tertullian was a, was a well-known Christian leader in the first century. And he reported that the Romans would exclaim, See how they love one another. The outside world noticed how the Christians loved one another to the point where they were amazed and astonished at how Christians showed love to each other. One story is that when a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, the pagans were throwing infected members of their own families out into the streets before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. And it was the Christians who came into those towns and cared for the sick, doing that at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. And, and as a result, it was the Christians who were instrumental in, in establishing many hospitals and orphanages and, and homes for the elderly and psychiatric hospitals. Some of, many of, America, of America's oldest colleges and universities were begun for the training of pastors and missionaries. So it was the Christians who stepped in to society and culture. If we are to live lives that align with Jesus' prayer for unity, then our attitude should be to love and bless and cooperate with the churches 
and the body of Christ in our region and around the world. And that means it's a heart of no competition between Christian churches and ministries and leaders. It's a heart and attitude that blesses and prays for the growth and success of every Christian church and ministry and pastor. So I challenge you, as you're driving down the road this week and you go past a church, pray for that church. Pray for God to bless that church. Pray for success in that church. Pray for God to prosper that church. Pray for people to get saved in that church. Pray for revival fire to fill that church. Pray for the pastor to be encouraged and strengthened. If you hear of a new church that's starting in our community, don't say, oh no, that means that there will be, there will be uh, less, less people coming to our church. No, celebrate when you hear of a new church starting in our community. You know what? That means that God has sent a, a whole new unit of the army into our community to help us all build the kingdom. Statistics say that, that roughly 70 to 75% of Lancaster County is still unchurched. So do we need lots more churches? Yes, we absolutely need more churches because there's so, there are so many people who are still unchurched in Lancaster County. We need more churches. And we should celebrate when new churches are getting started, even when it wasn't our idea. Now, some of you heard some of this last Sunday, but church is only part of God's kingdom. And Christians are called to be ministers in all areas of life. We already talked about education. We talked about health care. There's this one little parable. Jesus told lots of stories and lessons in, in parables. And there's this one little parable that takes up one verse. And it's really interesting. Take a look at it. Matthew 13 and verse 33, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, I'm not sure how many of you like to bake or, or even bake bread, but Jesus is talking here that the kingdom of God is like leaven, which is basically yeast. The original word was leaven. Yeast hadn't been discovered yet, but yeast is one form of, of leaven. And I don't know if you've ever made, for example, a, a cake and forgot to put the baking flour in it. Do you ever try that? And, and how did it turn out? It was just flat, right? It didn't rise. And that's what, that's what yeast does. Jesus picked something his audience would be really clear about and linked it to a spiritual idea because in Bible times, people baked bread every day. There were two types of bread, leavened bread, unleavened bread. And unleavened bread was that, that flat stuff. The, uh, uh, and, and leavened bread was the, the stuff that was lighter and, and had risen, so it was easier to, to eat. So what was Jesus, why does yeast, what does yeast have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, for, for one for one uh, aspect, the kingdom of God has small beginnings. It takes a tiny little bit of yeast mixed in your bread dough for that dough to rise. Small beginnings, but the kingdom will increase. And that yeast is microscopic. And a tiny little bit is in the dough. But that yeast spreads throughout all the dough until all the dough is influenced and impacted by that tiny bit of yeast. 
And in the same way, you know, Jesus' domain started with 12 men in this obscure little corner of Galilee. But that yeast, that kingdom, starting with 12 men, spread throughout the world. And we can see, we can see where it is going and where it has gone. The gospel makes progress. Jesus said, I will build my kingdom and the kingdom will keep expanding and will keep growing and it will keep advancing. We may be a, just a small church here in the grand scheme of, the, of all the Christian world, but what we do can have great impact. A little bit of yeast put into our community can have a great impact. So every time we do something in our community, every time we share the love of God in practical ways, it's like a little bit of yeast going out. And eventually that little bit makes a big difference. In 1975, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, developed a God-given, world-changing strategy. And their mandate was to bring godly change to a nation by reaching its seven, we call them seven spheres or seven mountains of societal influence, the seven mountains. If you've never heard about this, this is a, a, an introduction to it this morning. I'm not going to talk long about it, but the seven mountains of influence. And they concluded that in order to truly transform any nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, these seven facets of society must be reached. All these seven. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. Seven mountains of society. Seven mountains of influence. And it's a whole new idea for a lot of people because sometimes Christians look at certain parts of society and, and like maybe government, maybe media, maybe arts and entertainment, and say, oh, wow, that part of society is just too far gone. There's no way that Christians can have any kind of impact here. And, and unfortunately, we, we've abandoned some, some parts of society. And that, that isn't true for the kingdom of God, because we see now, we see the signs of God's kingdom breaking through in, in many of these areas. For example, uh, reports I've read lately say there are a number of weekly prayer groups and Bible studies among members of the U.S. Congress that, you know, that meet every, every week to, to pray and to, and to study God's Word. Uh, arts and entertainment. Compared to 20 or 30 years ago, we've seen more and more high-quality, feature-length Christian movies that aren't just going to churches, but they're going to the local movie theaters where the general public uh, is able to, to view them, and, and people are actually going to see them. Christian media, like CBN, is using the Internet and using the airwaves more and more and giving news from a Christian perspective and to make new disciples of Jesus. So the seven mountains, the seven facets of society are ways that we can be that yeast going out into the culture and into the world around us. So instead of just going to work, 
and seeing my job as a way to earn money. Maybe I should see myself as a missionary of Jesus when I'm going to work and see myself as God's yeast slowly working its way through the dough of American culture until all culture has been impacted by God's kingdom. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how can I take the good news of, good news of Jesus to my job, to my workplace, to my coworkers, to, to the community, to the neighborhoods around me? And maybe God is calling some here to be specific missionaries to a specific mountain, government, entertainment, business, education, and, and some of the others. I believe that, that we should have a commissioning for many of you here today. If you especially identify with one or, or two of those mountains of society. And I'd like to pray over that this morning as we, as we go into a time of prayer. I'd encourage you, as we move into next steps for you this week, next week, the most important part of this morning, if you haven't, is to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because doing all these other things don't matter a bit if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't made him your Lord and Savior. Second next step is in making peace with people. Making peace and, and getting to the bottom of those relationship issues. Obeying Matthew 18 and obeying Matthew 5. If a brother sins against you, you go and, and talk to them face to face. If you know of someone who's hurt or offended against you, you go and, and make peace with them. Number three is in praying for the churches in our community, praying for the body of Christ in our region. And number four is stepping into God's calling as a missionary to one or two mountains of influence. So I'd like to pray over you this morning in that way. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just begin to commission right now many here who are being called as missionaries to, the mount, to one or two mountains of influence, whether it's religion or family or education or government or media, arts and entertainment or business. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I commission missionaries from this church to go and, and be the yeast into, into culture that you've called us to be. Lord, that we would step out and that we would uh, be uh, apostles, uh, that we would be missionaries, that we would be the, the, the yeast that you've called us to be, flavoring and, and bringing the kingdom of God into, into culture and into, into society in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be a new wave of, of peacemaking here in this, in this uh, church, Lord, that we would uh, quickly move to resolve con conflicts, that we would quickly move to settle relationship disputes. Lord, that, that we, would, we would see that as a, as a top priority in our lives. Lord, we, we do pray and we do bless the churches of this community. We pray that the pastors would be encouraged and strengthened. We pray that every church would grow and prosper and flourish, Lord. We pray that uh, people would be saved in every church, Lord. 
Lord, thank you that we can step into the calling that you have for us as a church. And thank you that we can step into the calling that we have uh, on each of our lives personally in the name of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come. As they come, we're going to be here to, to pray with you this morning. Uh, I feel like God is stirring in, in some of your hearts to, to receive prayer and, and have agreement and prayer for one way or another. As we were praying this morning in, in the prayer room, I always invite you to come to the uh, 8.30 prayer in the prayer room before service every Sunday. As I was praying, I really sensed God was wanting to specifically heal someone, maybe one or more people, who were dealing with issues with their stomach, whether it's stomach pain, whether it is um, some, some sort of disorder or uh, uh, something, something with, to do with their stomach. And God wants to heal you this morning. So we want to uh, invite you to, to come for any kind of healing, but especially if God is calling, uh, is, is, uh, if there's something to do with stomach pain or, or something with your stomach. So Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you're you are moving. Your kingdom is advancing. You are at work in this world, Lord, that, that uh, you're moving in the hearts and lives of individuals and churches and ministries and organizations, Lord, and, and that we can go and be the influencers. We can go and be the, the missionaries that you've called us to be in society. So, Lord, I, I bless this church family as we go from here today. Let us be the missionaries that you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.